0: the power of the spirit, the power of the gospel in your life um, as we go into 1 Corinthians and talk about influence. So we've been going through our... So none of that I meant to I didn't mean to say any of that. So now just (laughs) use like five minutes. But we've been going through our vision statement, discovering identity and destiny in Christ in order to influence our city and the world. So we talked about identity the first week And how all of us have a unique identity in Christ Jesus, but it's the same identity. The uniqueness does not depend on us, it depends on the uniqueness of Christ. The second week, last week, we talked about destiny, and how we all have the same destiny in Christ, and we talked about what that looks like. Um, And this week, we're talking about influence, and there's one statement that I want you to realize as we go through this whole thing, and it's that Influence is not individual. In Christ, it is collective. Okay? So you see a theme running through here. And the reason we I've talked about this the past three Sundays is because it's so important for us in our culture. So you'll see we all have the same identity, a collective identity. We all have the same destiny, a collective destiny. And today we're talking about how our influence is, is more collective than it is individual. We'll talk about calling in a couple of weeks, and, and that's more specific to your personality, to your giftings, to uh, your passions. We're not going to talk about that this morning. So in two weeks, I'll talk more specifically on calling. Um, but before we get there, Paul is laying this foundation for the community of believers, okay? We're so individualistic in our culture. We're very individual. We, you know... I said last week, you know, we pride ourselves on making it on our own, being independent, you know, standing up on our own two feet. We have all these axioms around uh, our individualistic bent. And, and Paul is saying the community of Christ is something different. And so, over the past three weeks, including this week, or the past two weeks, including this week, I want to talk to you guys how, and I want to really hammer into you guys that the collective nature of the body of Christ Is essential to our influence in this city and and in this world. Now, like I said, you guys influence individually based on certain things, but we'll get to that in calling later because your calling is empowered through the collective nature of the body of Christ. Okay? So we're going to talk about that this morning. Um, Before we jump into that, Paul mentions baptism a couple times through this passage, and I want to just give you a quick picture of baptism. I'm not going to preach on baptism this morning. We'll actually get to it later in the book, uh, but we have a baptism service coming up at the end of March, and I want to give you just our view of baptism in, in a nutshell, uh, so that you're not wondering as, as we go through uh, First Corinthians this morning. So, three things. One, baptism is not salvific meaning it's not, it doesn't do anything for salvation, okay? So there's nothing magic in the water. Um, I don't know if you guys saw, there's this big thing over Carrie Underwood singing at the Passion Conference over, over uh, the Christmas break. Um, and there's this big uproar over her because of her views on the LGBTQ community. And uh, I saw a clip of the video, and I was like, why is everyone up in arms about this? Should, they should be worried about the theology she was presenting in the song that she sang. It was horrible because she talked about baptism and how something was, her song is like something's in the water or something like that. And and how baptism, basically, it's, it's for salvation. It changes you and something happens. But baptism, and Paul talks about this, it's, it doesn't add to your salvation. Once you believe in Christ, you repent. That is. Uh, your justification moment. What baptism does then is it's it's a couple things. It's symbolic, and uh, well, let's talk about that first. So it's symbolic. It Paul says in Romans six that you're buried with Christ in His death and raised to walk in new life. So it's a symbol of what Jesus has done in you, and it's this public proclamation of that, and and we get to proclaim it publicly. Uh, third, uh, the, the, the last thing, is that it's spiritual. And this is something that the church kind of stops at a lot. We say, oh, it's symbolic. It represents this. And we, and we kind of lop off the spiritual nature of baptism. And something, and I, I don't know what exactly, but something happens in baptism because it's a step of obedience in following Jesus. And when you obey Christ, he blesses. And, uh, and you don't get more of the Spirit. Um, like I said, when, once you believe in Christ, you have the, the fullness of the Spirit dwell in you. But when you get baptized, you do that publicly, you proclaim the gospel with a physical act, and you walk out in faith in obedience, then something really special happens spiritually, and God blesses that. So all that to say, if you want to get baptized, if you haven't been baptized before, we we'll have a we're having a baptism service at the end of March, and uh, we'll talk about Paul will talk about baptism in this passage. Going back to influence, you might be saying, "Well, I don't really care about influence. I don't. I'm not gifted to influence. I don't think God's calling me to influence others. Uh, I don't feel like I have anything to offer in terms of influence." And this is why I want to take. Influence out of your individual nature and put it in the collective body. Because if you're in Christ, you were reborn in Christ to influence others for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have to realize that as a follower of Jesus, that you were reborn to influence this world. That that is, that is, you become part of this grand story you become a light to the nations and that's the power of the gospel in you uh, this week <clears throat> excuse me this week uh, Missy and I received an email out of the and does this keep on cutting out okay am I okay you want to change them now just do it behind me <laughs> I'm taller than you so maybe they won't see you All right. Is it okay if I talk while you're standing there? Uh, well, it's going to cut out one second. Okay. Hold on one second. All right. All right. That wasn't bad. Yeah. 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 Awesome. <laughs> so, um, that's my because I... Is that good? Okay. I showed up late this morning. Um, what was I talking about? Anybody? Email. email. So, <laughs> so we got an email this week out of the blue. And as from this, so just to give a little background, we're a church that's in our third to four, fourth, fourth year, I don't know how you, we're, we, we turned three in September. So we're in that, in that stage. And in our past three and a half years, a lot of people have come in and out of Trinity life. So, th- for various reasons. Some people came in, job transfers. Some people uh, needed this as a time to heal and and then moved along. Uh, some people uh, came from a different country and came to learn English. And God changed their life and then they went back to their home country. Uh, there's, there's various reasons. Some people were... Uh, looking for the next coolest thing. And then they saw Daniel, and they're like, that's not it. <laughs> Actually, it's in the last week's sermon. It was it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, whatever it was, and we viewed it all as we have, whether it's one Sunday or people were with us for a couple of years, viewed as our opportunity to pour in into them everything, the DNA of the kingdom, And release them into this world, whether they were here from one Sunday or not. So, if you're just here from one Sunday this morning, I hope we give you the DNA of the kingdom so that you can take it into the world, and wherever you end up going, so that you can uh, help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ, in order to influence our city and world. And so, we've we've had that that view with everybody. So, this this lady, she came in. This was probably two years ago, and she needed a place to heal. She needed a place to rest and to and immediately we saw it. Uh, she had severe relationship issues, severe uh, mental issues and and uh, missing I felt helpless. We're like, well I mean the stuff that she was dealing with uh, we had no idea how to counsel her through these things. we had no idea we had no wisdom to give her we this is how we felt. We were like, how, how can we help her through this situation? And we just felt so helpless. And uh, so we just said, we're going to love her. We're going to point her to Jesus. And we're going to be a, be a light in her life while she's here with us. And hopefully, through some small steps of obedience, the power of the Spirit will start to transform and heal her. And um, she wasn't with us long. Uh, like I said, this was two years ago. She was maybe, I don't know, five, six months, probably less than that. And, and we knew, and we recognized that it was a healing retreat for her to get her back into where she was supposed to go. And then, and then she left. And it wasn't because of anything lacking. It was because she began to experience healing and restoration. And we, we really had no idea what The influence was on her life until she emailed us this week. Like I said, this was two years ago. So she emails us. She's like, hey, I don't know if you remember who I am. And I'm like, of course I remember who you are. Uh, But, uh, and then she tells her story of what's happened over the past two years in her life because of her time at Trinity Life. And I had no idea. Um, But she points to one specific meeting, one specific moment, one specific statement that I don't even remember saying, or maybe Missy said it. I don't we don't even remember saying. Um, I'm sure we said it because it's biblical. <laughs> we don't remember saying. Uh, that transformed her path. That's put her on the path to healing and transformation that is not gonna be undone. That for the past two years she's seen tremendous movements and forward in the gospel of Christ Jesus. And in her recent wedding, she even themed her whole wedding around this one statement. And it was such an encouraging message from her. I was like, oh, wow, like we had no idea. And that's because the power of your influence doesn't reside in you. It resides in the power of the gospel. And we we just pointed her to Jesus. There was nothing we could offer her. We had no idea, her mental illness, we had no idea how to deal with it. Her relationship issues were like some of the worst I've ever I've ever encountered. And it was only through the power of the words of the gospel that transformed her. And that's the power you have. And so this morning, what I want you to realize, I want you to take away uh, two lies of the enemy this morning. Like I said, this series, Rethink, is... Is kind of a prophetic series for us where, where we're going to have to hear some hard things as individuals and as, as a collective church. And God's going to grow us through it. So, two lies. Uh, our culture says you're an individual, you need to make it on your own. That's a lie of the enemy. You were born to be in community. You're reborn in Christ, be part of the body of Christ. And that's the beauty of what we're a part of here. Uh, and we are way more powerful united. Then divided, and that's what Paul's going to get at here. Second is, sorry. Uh, so second is that I blanked out. <laughs> My head's like super cloudy this morning, and I don't. I preach without notes, so I'm like, where am I right now? Um, I'll get to it later. But there's two lies ahead of me that I want to. Uh, extinguish and, and build something else in you, because this is what the Scriptures do. They tear, they tear things down in us that the enemy has put in, that our culture has put in, that the world has put in, and they build something up in us in Christ Jesus. So, let's look at 1 Corinthians this morning. This is this is Paul making his appeal to his brothers here. He says, "I appeal to you, brothers and sisters." This is the family of God. And Paul is saying, you are my family. And this is a family discussion. And this is something that the church has lost. The church has has lost this aspect of the household of God, of the family of God. And he's, he's going right to the heart of the issue. And he says, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he appeals to Christ, which is the highest... He can go, right? He's not saying, by what I believe. He's saying, I know Jesus believes that this should be the case. And he says, this is what Christian unity looks like three things that all of you agree, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, that's a pretty high standard. That's a pretty high order for the church. Okay? And I don't know how your, your body life groups went this past Sunday but, or past week, but in our, our body life group, we talked about um, how there's divisions among, in, in churches but also among churches, and there's denominations, and there's traditions, and, and all these. We're not... <coughs> excuse me. That didn't work at all. <laughs> I tried to cover it. Um, we're going to have to, like, Lysol this thing afterwards. <laughs> You'll burn it, yeah. (laughs) Get a new one. Uh, Where was I? I'm going to do this a lot. Uh, Body life groups, yes. I don't know how your body life groups were this past week, but all of us talked about this passage, and we went through, we talked about different divisions in the church. We can't talk about traditions and and denominations this morning. We're going to talk about... The collective church here at Trinity Life this morning—the local expression of the church, um, the denominations and traditions—all that—that's a whole separate discussion. But Paul here is saying, and and if we can't be united here, guys, there's no way we're going to be united outside of here. So let's start here in the in the small group in the smaller group first. He says, uh, so he gives us a pretty high order. We need to all agree. I don't agree with my wife all the time, <laughs> right? Right? I mean, think of your closest relationship. Think of your closest relationship. Do you agree with that person all the time? No. I mean, and he's saying at, in the church, we need to do this. And this is because Jesus is our standard. He says, no divisions, united in the same mind and the same judgment. Judgment is, is also like the same concerns or the same, um, the same thoughts it could be translated as. And then he says in verse 11, for it's been reported to me. And when he says it's been reported, it's actually very strong in the Greek language. He's saying, I heard about this. I didn't really believe it at first. But the evidence is overwhelming that there's divisions among you, there's quarreling among you, there's strife, there's discord. And he says, my brothers and sisters, again, it's normally in your Bible, it's normally translated as brothers for sake of brevity, but it includes brothers and sisters uh, in the original language. So, so he says here, again, this is the family of God, but there's quarreling and discord and strife among you. Think about the family you grew up in. Whenever I do premarital counseling, we always talk about this, like how do you, we, uh, we always say, well, how did you grow up handling conflict, and how did you grow up handling conflict, and most, more times than not, it's separate ways they handle conflict. Well, now that this couple is being united in holy matrimony, they need to figure out a new way to handle conflict, or decide on decide on one way, because if they don't, then they're going to have conflict the rest of their marriage, because they're going to deal with it differently. So think about the body of Christ as the marriage of a whole bunch of people. Like, we're here, we're in one family, right? This is a marriage, they're becoming one family. Like, we become one family, and we all handle discord and strife differently. And a lot of times, it came from how we we were raised. Some of you guys grew up in a household where whenever mom got angry, you kind of swept it under the rug, you acted like nothing happened, you walked around on eggshells and just waiting for mom or dad to get over it. And, and then when she did, you didn't have to talk about it. And then everything was better. And it seemed like there was unity because there was this semblance of unity. There wasn't true unity because everyone knew there was something under that rug. And over time, that rug builds up and you're like walking on this rocky mountain type thing. Some of you guys grew up in a family that was to the extreme, where you dealt with things right away, but you do it with yelling at each other. And it's just screaming, and you're very emotional. Um, Also not a very healthy way to deal with things. Um, And some of you guys actually maybe grew up in a more healthy environment where things were handled biblically. And Paul is about to show us what this looks like, Where where when someone receives an offense you deal with it right away so no seeds of the enemy get rooted in your heart. Because when that happens, the enemy comes in and he, he wants to grow that seed of bitterness, that seed of rivalry, that seed of dissension in your heart. And you know who loses when you hold on to that seed of offense? Not the other person who offended you. You're the one who loses. You're the one who's caging yourself. You're the one who's, who's feeding the enemy. And and uh, Paul's about to, he's about to direct the um, He's about to go to the issue right at the heart in order to extinguish the seat of the enemy, okay? So he says here, uh, again, family of God in verse 11, verse 12, and what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, which is Peter, the apostle Peter, or I follow Christ. Now, this statement that's made is is very tricky to translate into the scriptures. And there's this unique construction in the Greek language that makes this a very unique statement. So basically, what Paul is saying, um, is he's saying each one of you says this, I follow follow Paul, I'm of Apollos, or I'm a Cephas type of person. Um, But as for me, I follow Christ. So Paul inserts this thing right at the end, and so there aren't, there aren't four different groups. He's saying, some are following Paul, some you follow Paulus, some follow Cephas, but as for me, I follow Christ Jesus. And it changes the whole direction of, of what we're about to read. Now, we are, this is a young church, first, the Church at Corinthians, and it's crazy how there's already dissension and discord happening over following different leaders. Now Paul is, Paul is kind of like this intellectual, um, pioneering, catalyst leader for the church. Apollos is this very charismatic, uh, teaching, pastoring, preaching type type leader, and Cephas, uh, Peter. He's he's this. Rock, he's foundational, and he's like he's fiery, right? And so you already have these guys following, uh, following different guys, and it's creating factions in the church. And what this is, it's it's not a theological debate. It's not that one is following Peter's theology and one is following Paul's and one is following Apollos's, because when you see when we see theological divisions in the church in the book of Galatians. Paul handles it in a totally different manner. Here, it's more of a status thing. And the Corinthians are very status-oriented. And I say the Corinthians, but we are very status-oriented, right? Um, think about our city in particular. And not that we need our city to make us more status-oriented, but it makes us more status-oriented. Our city is about success. It's about money. So much money flows through Toronto. Uh, if you... I don't know when the last time was you guys were on Bay Street... But when I go and I'm dressed like this, I feel like a complete bump. <laughs> I feel like I lose. Everyone's in their three-piece suit, um, but it's because it's all status-oriented. I used to I used to work at a boys and girls club. This was back in seminary, so this was around uh, 2005, 2004, when I started working there, and. Uh, yeah, I just started seminary and I was like, I don't know, I was 24, 25 years old at the time. And at this at this boys and girls club, they during the summer, they'd have 200 kids come in and uh, we would have to be with them the whole summer. Uh, all day, like it was like 10-hour days. And so it was rough. So it was always the summers were always rough. So the club, they thought of a way to unite the club during the summer and have a good time. And that was by having this uh, thing that they called the Sun Cup. You've seen Harry Potter. It's kind of like Harry Potter. you got the house cup, and you divide them into houses. And, so it was, and Harry Potter was like big then. Maybe they got it from that. I don't know. Um, and so it was, it was very much like that. So they would divide all the kids, like 50 kids on each team, into four different teams. Actually, they didn't divide it. It was done a very (laughs) weird way. We would have a draft of the kids. So so all the leaders would pick kids. It was like schoolyard. Like, it was horrible. Um, And in the Sun Cup, throughout the summer, there'd be athletic competitions, there'd be arts competitions, there'd be educational competitions, and... um, one other thing. Oh, like board games, chess, and stuff like that. So in the draft, you didn't just want to draft, you know, in the most athletic kids, because you had all these other competitions. So my first year doing it, I was a new guy. Nobody wanted to be on my team. I had been, I had been uh, um, uh, hired on, that's the word, I had been hired on to be the education director. So I tutored kids, I made them do their homework, nobody liked me at the club. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, who likes the guy who makes, they want to go play pool and go play foosball and go play sports in the gym or go do artsy stuff, I don't know, Um, video games. Uh, But they all, I was a necessary evil. They all had to come to me first, get their homework done before they left, Um, and me, I wanted to teach them. I didn't just want them to get it done. I wanted to show them how to do it. So I made them stay in there longer than they probably should have. They didn't like me. Um, So no one wanted to be on my team. And my team, because of that, uh, we lost. Team morale was down. That first year, we we just got trashed. I mean, we we lost so badly. But the next year, I was like, that's not going to happen to me again. (laughs) I'm not going to lose like that again. Next year... I was determined to win, so this is summer two thousand and five, and I had a strategy i said i 'm going to draft all the athletic kids because if we win all the athletic competitions and we just don't get into last place in the other ones we 're going to win the cup easily and and uh, and I love sports so I was like this is this is i'm more suited for this this is this is good so that's what we that 's what we did and we started destroying teams that summer. I mean, like we came up with a team chant that was very intimidating. Like we, our team name was Now and Later. Did they have that candy in Canada? Now and Later? Okay, it's a popular candy in the States. And so we called ourselves Now and Later because we said we're going to beat you now and later. <laughs> like that was That's what we would say before every competition. Whether it was like chess, <laughs> an, arts, an arts thing, or footballer or whatever. I was like, we're going to be you now and later. So, and we'd have this like intimidating chant. And these are like kids from kindergarten all the way <laughs> up to high school. Yeah. Like I was totally status oriented. Uh, and we started, we started trashing all the other teams. And, and what happened was that an unintended effect was kids started to want to be on my team because we were winning. There's just something about us. We want to get on the winning team. Uh, we want to we be successful, right? We want, we want status. Uh, but then, halfway through, we weren't doing so hot. Um, we came in last in a couple things, um, and we weren't doing as well as I thought. And the art department comes out, and they say, if the team leader, which was me, um, if any of the team leaders let the art teacher give them a mohawk you'll get a significant amount of points. I don't remember how significant it was, but it was a huge amount. But for me, my team started to lose morale, and I was like, I thought about it for like, I went back and forth for like three seconds, and I was like, I'm getting the mohawk. (laughs) So I got the mohawk. This is (laughs) a picture of me with the mohawk. And it was green originally, because it was my team color. So I dyed it green, got this mohawk, And it just vaulted my team. Like, it boosted morale. Like, we went. I'm happy to say we were Sun Cup champions of 2005. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. That deserves a clap, yeah, and a shout. (laughs) And, but the thing is, at the end I realized, and you can take that picture down. That's ugly. (laughs) You've been amazing. I was in seminary then, like, I was judged so harshly. (laughs) Like I would go to the store, and people were treating me like I was um, like a hooligan. Uh, And I'm like, I'm a seminary student. I'm a nice guy. Uh, So um, what I what I learned that summer, and I'm very competitive by nature. But what I learned that summer is that um, we're all very status oriented. And unfortunately, it brought not the best out out of those kids. it, it brought the worst out of them. and uh, and that's how our world is. Our world is geared that way. I mean, think about who you follow. Think about who you listen to, podcasts, YouTube, music, media, what movies you watch. like this is, this, this is your worldview. I don't know if you realize that, but Whatever, whatever you're putting into yourself through these things, that's reflective of your worldview. Twitter, who do you follow on Twitter? Instagram, Facebook, all these things. They're, they're telling of, of our status-oriented culture. I mean, just think about your workplaces, you know, your salary, how you're, you're vying for a position at work with other people. Think about the clothes you wear. I mean, it's even in our clothes. I remember when I was in middle school, I would get made fun of because I had like the imitation Nikes. <laughs> I mean, that's ingrained in you from an early age that if you don't have what this person has, that you're lesser of a person. And think about the car you drive. I mean, in our neighborhood, it's not just about the car or the house anymore. If you don't have a live-in nanny watching your kids, you're not as good as the rest of the people in the neighborhood. Like, it's, it just, I don't know where it, where it ends. Your family, your, your siblings, like, your brother, or your sister's a doctor, and you're just, uh, a lawyer. I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird how we put these, these things, these status symbols on, on our lives, and Paul Paul is getting at, that, at this in the church and this is what's happening here is they're chasing status. They're like, well, I'm with him and I'm with him and I'm with him. And <clears throat> and in Christ, it's awesome because he says, I follow Christ. And he says, in Christ, you have a new status. And your status in Christ isn't the status that this world seeks after. Your status in Christ is what he said last, what I said last week. Your status is righteousness. Your status is holiness. Your status is blamelessness. Your status, your status is guiltless before God. And the economy of the kingdom of God is so different from the economy of this world. In the kingdom of God, whoever's first shall be last, whoever's last last shall be first. In the kingdom of God, you died to yourself in order to live the abundant life. It doesn't make sense to this world. In the economy of God, it's not who's richest. It's who's poorest in spirit. It's the humble. Jesus, when he came, he didn't come as an authoritarian leader. He came as a servant leader. And in the economy of God, it's totally flipped. And Paul says here, I follow Christ. As for me, I follow Christ. And he says in verse 13, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And here, we can actually read that in a different way. When he says, Is Christ divided? we would say, Well, no, no, Christ has not divided. But it's almost like Paul is accusing them. And he says, Has Christ been divided? And he has by the Corinthians. And they're dividing and they don't even realize it. Are we as a church dividing Christ? Because we prefer one thing over the other. Because there's dissension among us. Because uh, there's something somebody said to you that you just can't let go of. Because you don't have uh, the biblical foundation to approach them on it. Are we dividing Christ? And then he says... Basically, when he says, was Paul crucified for you, it's very strong. He's saying, surely Paul wasn't crucified for you, was he? Surely not. It's Christ. And he says, were you baptized in the name of Paul? And the answer is no. It's, it's a rhetorical uh, no. And then he goes in to this kind of aside in verses 14, 15, and 16 and talks about baptism. And he says, I'm so happy I didn't even baptize you guys, a lot of you guys, that I only baptized a few of you guys because if I had baptized all of you guys, this would be even worse, he says. And then he comes back and he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel not with words of eloquent wisdom lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. If we are, as a church, Trinity Life Church, if we are divided, we'll never have the influence that God wants us to have in our city and in our world. What does reconciliation look like for us? Let me give you five things, practically, for us as a church that will help us along this. At Trinity Life, we call these the first five. This is coming from 1 Peter chapter 3. I preached a sermon on this like three years ago, and these are the essential characteristics of a genuine, transparent community of faith. One is unity of mind, and I want to give credit to my BOG. They they listed I think all of these, um, and uh, yeah, and, and so all of them. Like Simon said, empathy, and Shauky talked about. Uh, humility and self-reflection, and, and we just listed all these. So let's, let's walk through them real quick. Unity of mind. This is straight from First Peter, but this is also Philippians chapter 2. Just don't look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Like if we were a community that did that, like we've, if you've grown up in church, you've read that. You've probably read that over and over again. You've heard it over and over again. But do you actually live that? Do you do that? Do you not just look to your interests, but to the interests of the other person? Sympathy and empathy. Uh, look at the heart, Simon said over and over Tuesday night. What if we just looked at people's hearts? What if we just looked past the exterior or the words and, and looked at their heart? Looked at their heart. What does sympathy and empathy look like for us to put ourselves in the other person's shoes? Uh, love. This is called uh, it's called brotherly love in First Peter. What does it look like for us to give the benefit of the doubt to somebody? If someone says something to you that just rubs you the wrong way, which is probably going to happen, because that happens all the time, right? I'm probably going to do it from up here. Like, I would want you to come and let me know that. Like, you, should, you should give me the benefit of the doubt that I didn't mean to offend you in that way and that we can talk about it as brothers and sisters in Christ. Compassion slash tender heart. This is basically... We forgive because we're forgiven. You've received grace and mercy and forgiveness, and you get to give those things to others. And then humility or a humble mind. This is looking at ourselves before we point the finger at the other person, using the mirror of the Word of God to show us our own weaknesses, to show us our own faults, to show us our own failings, so that instead of tearing someone else down, we can actually build them up and be part of building up the body of Christ. Our church last week, we did a fundraiser for Wendy. And if you guys don't know Wendy Sasso, she has been a tremendous part of this community, an integral part of this community for three plus years. Our God has moved in her life so greatly. And uh, she's had cancer for the past year and a half. And she's been out of work, and um, it's been really hard. And she's gone through a bunch of, yeah, just a bunch of stuff. Um, and last week, uh, we did a fundraiser for her, and it was Zumba. So if you were here last week and you are one of the ladies who did did Zumba with Daniel, <laughs> um, it was an awesome time. And. In an age when nobody carries cash, when, you know, we just forget things all the time, we raised 900, close to 950 bucks last week to give to Wendy. Uh, And Missy and Xiaokian went Friday to take her a a few gifts, including the gift that you guys gave her last week. Um, And it was so amazing. it's so amazing what the unity of the body can do for one person and so she opens it and uh, she sees the money and Missy had like rolled it like a drug dealer or something it was like in this huge (laughs) in this huge roll (laughs) it was in a box in a briefcase (laughs) no no Um, that was handcuffed to her arm (laughs) so she she gives Wendy the the box and she opens it and Wendy's blown away and she knew we were raising money for her and she's one to not take not take anything she's prideful like that (laughs) Um, but she willingly accepted it and She's like, I thought it was going to be like 50 bucks, 100 bucks. I didn't think it was going to be anything like this. She tells Missy, I have an outstanding bill for $915. And this covers all of it. Plus some. And she was so overjoyed. And we just gave her a piece of something on Friday. Through her whole illness, she's given so much joy. If you know Wendy, you know that she hasn't, she has struggled. But she's persevered like crazy. She's, she's the most joyous person. And she's, I mean, she's dying. And the joy of Christ is so evident in her life because of these five things. What would it look like if we gave that to our city? What would it look like if we were so united in that, if we were such a genuine, transparent community, that we gave that to our city? As a church, for those of you guys who are new with us, we've seen that happen. We've seen reconciliation happen through us as a church in our city just by being willing and obedient and stepping out in faith two things. One, we use this axiom all the time, mend the net, and we've talked about that as, as joining together and, and building the body here, but it's just as applicable to what we're trying to do in our city through, uh, with with Muslims in the city, with the LGBTQ community in our city, with uh, the poor in our city, with Regent Park, with St. Jamestown, where we, where we started in Regent Park, and when we started Regent Park, we just started blessing the community. We just said, we're going to go hands first, and we're going to serve, and we're going to trust that God opens hearts, and that's going to let us talk about beliefs eventually. Instead of the other way around, which is the traditional paradigm of the church to go in with beliefs first, we said, no, let's let's serve first and and show unity and compassion and love and tenderness and empathy and sympathy. And you guys know what happened off of that? the city saw racial reconciliation, they saw religious reconciliation, they saw ethnic reconciliation happening between a Christian church, which was just two families and a couple people at the time, and a Muslim community, and they gave us money to put on events. They said, the city of Toronto said, we want to partner with you guys and give you money to do this. That doesn't happen through the influence of this world. That only happens through the influence of the gospel of Jesus Christ and when Paul says here that we're emptying the cross of its power he's saying when you are after status when you're after self-assertion when you're after self-promotion you're taking the cross and you're basically turning it upside down and emptying But when we're unified in a collective of believers who want to influence our city and our world through identity and destiny in Christ, Jesus says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And when he says that, it means that we, the church, are on the offensive. Eddie Leo, the pastor from Indonesia, he says gates don't move. They're just standing there. They're not advancing on us. We're advancing on them. And it's not how the world looks at it. It's through unity. It's through dying to ourselves. It's through serving. It's through love. It's through compassion. It's through empathy. And when the fruit of the Spirit, those things, joy and peace and faithfulness and kindness and goodness, when those things are evident in us, Paul says, against such things, There is no law. Nothing stops those things. And that's the power of influence that we have as a body of believers, as a collective body of believers. So if you're not a Christian this morning, this is your opportunity to be part of something amazing, something big, something that God's been calling you towards, whether you realize it or not, all your life. If you're a Christian this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, God's given you something. Don't waste it. You are a steward of the power of the cross. Stop emptying it of its power. And let that power flow in you and through you to influence others for the sake of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the testimony of the the gospel in our midst. We praise you for what you've done through lives like Linnea, through... Uh, Wendy through Missy through, through Adam through what you're doing in our midst right now and for those of us who who may have spent a long time in church growing up you're still doing something in our lives now you're still growing us you're still building in us you're still showing us where we need to be you're conforming us to the image of your son Jesus and we praise you for that and we love you for that So draw us to yourself now. In your name, Jesus. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.